like to welcome you to today's SACPA session, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is Graham Greenlee. I will be the moderator for today. Uh, we'd like to ask people to please turn off your cell phones because the session is being recorded. Okay. The cost of the session is $11. Please put their money in the basket that's on each table. Someone will be around a bit before lunch to collect, collect that. We will have 25 to 30 minutes for our speaker, followed by the same amount of time for lunch, followed by about the same amount of time for a question and answer period, beginning about 1 o'clock, and we'll wind up by 1.30. Today's topic is sales tax. Oh, I said a swear word. <laughs> the tax that dare not speak its name in Alberta. It is conventional wisdom in Alberta that bringing in a sales tax would be political suicide. But there's nothing unusual about sales taxes. They are a part of the fiscal fabric everywhere else in Canada, many U.S. states, and throughout Europe. A provincial sales tax of 5% could net Alberta $5 billion yearly, and it would still be one of the lowest taxed provinces. The Alberta Taxpayer Protection Act, introduced by Premier Ralph Klein in 1995, states that a referendum must be held before a provincial sales tax can be introduced. However, previous governments have shown they have no problem sweeping away old laws like this one. In 2009, the PC government amended their much-touted Fiscal Responsibility Act, which prohibited budget deficits in order to pass a budget deficit. What are the sources of opposition in Alberta? And what impact would a sales tax have on the politics and finances of the province. Our speaker today will analyze these questions and assert that relying on a boom-bust economy with a real lack of long-term financial planning has been Alberta's biggest weakness over the past several decades. And speaking of our speaker, our speaker today is Dr. Trevor Harrison. Dr. Harrison is a professor of sociology at the University of Lethbridge and director of Park, the Parkland Institute. He was born and raised in Edmonton. He holds a BA from the University of Winnipeg, an MA from the University of Calgary, and a PhD in sociology from the University of Alberta. Uh, Dr. Harrison's broad areas of specialty include political sociology, political economy, and public policy. In addition to numerous journal articles and book chapters, Dr. Harrison is the author, 
co-author or co-editor of nine books. His op-ed columns frequently appear in both local and national newspapers. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Trevor Harrison. Well, thank you so much, uh, Graham, for that uh, nice introduction. And thank you to uh, to uh, for inviting me to be here today. Uh, I've been here, I don't know how many times, I should count them up sometimes. It goes back a lot of years when I have been here, although I think it's probably a couple of years now since the last time. Um, the uh, topic I'm going to speak on today uh, for 25 minutes, I'll try, we'll try not to go more than 30. I don't want to uh, tax your time or your patience, uh, if I can put it that way, uh, is, uh, as you can see here, the, the swear word, sales tax. Uh, tax that dare not speak its name. Now, interesting enough, actually, when I said to Knut that I would uh, suggested this title a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden, uh, then about two weeks back, uh, there was some uh, uh, somebody in the media actually stole my subtitle. So I thought, oh, I don't know if I should be flattered or you know something. So anyway, uh, the other really interesting thing is is actually since uh, I began speaking about this, and I should say actually as I will get into, I was uh, I guess I can say a main instigator of a. Uh, a, a letter, a sort of letter to the uh, Premier, as I'll talk about in a while, uh, where 19 of us from across the province, economists, sociologists, political scientists, and others, um, suggested that in fact it was time to uh, bring out a sales tax. And um, I, immediately the, the government kind of shut down that discussion. But the really interesting thing is since that time, that was a couple of months back, um, how the discussion isn't quite off the board, uh, off the table, as uh, it was even a few months ago. Uh, and in fact, and to some extent, it actually references the, the, the letter that 19 of us sent out. But there's a, a little story here uh, yesterday in the Globe and Mail. Uh, Jeffrey Jones in the report on business, are Albertans starting to think the unthinkable? And it goes on to talk about the you know, fairly widespread discussions. You may have seen that uh, the other day, in fact, a number of uh, people in the business community in Calgary who are, I think, by and large, fairly notoriously anti-tax, but they said, well, maybe we actually need to think about this. This is a way forward. So in some sense, the context is, is kind of changing around us, even as uh, we're speaking here today. So what I want to do today is take you through a little bit of background here, and then uh, also talk, of course, about the recent uh, provincial budget, which I think really highlights the, the kind of fiscal dilemmas that Alberta has gotten itself into. And then go to talk about uh, sales tax in, in particular, and uh, what it looks like in Alberta or in Canada, but also in uh, European countries and some of the pros and cons of sales tax. So, so uh, the first thing I will say here is that uh, my own uh, feelings about sales tax have actually kind of changed over time, and uh, that's why I've said it's kind of a slow conversion. Um, the, uh, it is, as we'll talk about in a while here, there's no doubt about it, sales tax is what we refer to as a regressive tax. Uh, just as the uh, former uh, uh, flat tax that we had on income in uh, Alberta was also a regressive tax. That is, it hits people at the lower end harder than it does people at, at a high end. 
Um, but over time, I've come to realize that in terms of other kinds of considerations for bringing in revenue, uh, that it probably is necessary to think in terms of this. And again, it isn't that scary in the context of a whole uh, number of other uh, places. And particularly, uh, the realities of Alberta have, uh, and studying fiscal policy and the boom-bust cycle of Alberta for a number of years, has really brought me around to the idea that this is probably something that we need to seriously consider. One of the interesting things then actually about sales tax is uh, when I began uh, talking to people about the, uh, the letter, as I say here, the letter to the premier sort of, it wasn't actually publicly in the Edmonton Journal saying that, and we didn't actually send a letter to her. Um, but the, the signatures for the letter actually drew from a pretty wide swath of people. So as you may know, a number of economists tend to be by and large right of center. Uh, and some of them certainly signed on to the letter. Some didn't actually because quite frankly they wanted us to do other kinds of draconian things such as cut and slash and burn. <laughs> they liked the idea of the tax but they still wanted to cut, slash and burn so they didn't sign on. But there were also a number of people from the left also signed on and I can mention here that one person who's an economist uh, that uh, has a long relationship with Parkland Institute, of which I'm director, uh, Greg Flanagan. Uh, Greg was one of the people signed it, and uh, Greg will tell you he has left the center uh, economically. Uh, also, Alex Himmelfarb, who was the former chief of the Privy Council of Canada, was one of the people signed on to it. And Alex also says, uh, you know, if he was to categorize himself, he has left the center. He says, I don't see any other way out of this. We have to have a sales tax here. Um, so it, it actually brought together an interesting way of the letter, uh, a number of people from all over kind of the political spectrum, um, except people I would suggest on the really hard right. Um, the letter was published in the uh, Edmonton Journal. I think it also ran in the Calgary Herald. And uh, lots of people ended up, again, if there were supporters of the idea from left, right, and center, there were also detractors from left, right, and center. Uh, so people who had, uh, you know, I still consider colleagues and friends uh, on the left also uh, said, where are you going with this? Why are you doing that? And I had to explain why. The recent budget, again, brings it to uh, four, I think. Uh, as you know, last week the NDP uh, government brought down their uh, first really full budget in which they indicated that Alberta is going to be running in the next year a uh, $10.4 billion deficit and uh, that over time, the next few years, they will continue to run deficit and that the debt uh, by 2018-19 we're projecting at about 57.6% uh, um, or 57.6 billion, I should say, percent should be in there. Um, so uh, this is a, uh, a substantial amount of money, there's no doubt about it, and one should be concerned about it, although as I'll take you through some figures here, Alberta's situation is not as dire as a lot of other places, but we should be paying attention. The other thing is, of course, the government said we're not going to balance the books until 2024. Uh, so a lot of people are saying, okay, what's the debt going to look like then? Uh, and finally, uh, just as I noted here, uh, in increasingly, however, there's been a lot of news stories about the topic, and a lot of people actually beginning to talk about it openly. It used to be something that 
only people kind of in the the shadows and alleyways is something we talk about a sales tax, but they seem to have actually come out into the light and are actually discussing it. So uh, that's what we're going to do here today. Uh, so here's a my brief overview of Alberta's finances. Uh, now I'll go on to give you some tables here. Uh, the as I said, the recent budget is worrisome, but when you look at the bigger picture, there's other wider ways to think about it. Uh, first of all, Alberta is not a particularly high-spending province. Uh, it was fourth per capita in Canada over two decades, uh, and so we're kind of middle of the road there. Um, and uh, so you will quite often hear from various groups like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, who I had the joy of actually debating with one of their people last Friday up in Edmonton on Sunday. I said at that time, actually, it was interesting, it was the fourth person with uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation that I've debated with over the years. I don't know if I'm chasing them away or it just means I'm being really old. Um, but in any case, uh, we're, we're really not a, a vastly high-spending province. Uh, but Alberta's revenues over time to pay for those things have been uh, highly dependent on uh, petrodollars. Uh, and our revenues as a result are actually considerably below that of any other province. And that's where the, really the, the problem enters into here. Um, I would say that actually, and this is where the Alberta public actually has a role to play. Uh, I think the Alberta public has gotten way too um, used to having things, as I would say, a free lunch. Uh, and there is no free lunch. Somebody has to pay for it. And uh, politicians for years used uh, royalty revenues to buy people's votes and to pay for things and to create the illusion that it could go on forever. And it couldn't. And uh, that's the reality that now faces Alberta. I don't think that oil, the price of oil, is ever going to come back to where it was. Not, not close. Those days are gone. We may have actually squandered in the range of uh, a quarter uh, of a billion dollars that could have all gone into the Heritage Trust Fund. It's gone, uh, and I don't see it coming back. So now we have to think, like big people, about how we're actually going to pay for the things that are important to us. Health education, good roads, etc. So here I said before, uh, this is program expenditures per capita, 2016-17. Uh, I had some other figures for past years, but this is uh, so right up to date here. What you'll see is that, yes, we spend certainly more than, uh, at this point, Ontario, uh, Quebec, uh, per capita. Okay, um, but we're kind of in the ballpark with Newfoundland, which also just had a really savage budget. Saskatchewan right next door, uh, and Manitoba, which of course just had an election and they may resort to some amount of uh, slash and burn. Um, but over time, and again, as I said, for the last two decades, we actually haven't most times been uh, that exorbitant in our expenditures. Uh, this is where it really actually comes in uh, when you think about it, because we actually are a really wealthy province. Uh, so even if our per capita expenditures uh, look like they're higher than some places and lower than others, uh, we are phenomenally low in the amount of uh, money that we actually generate in this province. As a percentage uh, of uh, GDP, 
for 2016-17, and again, I could go back over the years and show you that we've actually been lower than this. We've been generating an enormous amount of wealth in this province, uh, and actually really haven't been spending all that much as a percentage of that. So a lot of the money is, in fact, leaked out of the province over that time, money that could have gone into the Heritage Trust Fund. Uh, if we're talking about expenses, then of course, then we get down to the idea of revenue. So where are we there? So this is revenue relative to GDP, again for 2016-17, and I pulled out the figures that I could have for past years. What you see here is that actually our revenue uh, per uh, relative to GDP is incredibly low. Right? So we produce a lot of wealth here, but we actually haven't pulled in very much revenue at all. Uh, to fund the things that uh, are necessary for a good life. Here's actually uh, the thing that uh, is, uh, in some sense, the albatross around our neck. And it's a mythology that we have to get over if we're actually going to solve the problem. And this, that is the idea of Alberta's tax advantage. Uh, I just finished actually writing an op-ed that I believe is going to appear in the Winnipeg Free Press. I'm hoping the Edmonton Journal will pick it up. And of course, our good friends at Lethbridge Herald usually end up running some of my things as well. <clears throat> I said in the, uh, the uh, op-ed that is finished that in a advertising coup that would make the people of Mad Men quite proud, uh, back in the 1990s, early 90s, during the Klein years, uh, we came up with this idea of the Alberta Advantage, and the Alberta Advantage is supposed to be that you have really low taxes. Um, but the only way we could actually pay have those really low taxes was, again, that we were squandering all of that oil revenue. And so we were being bought with our own money, in a sense, the money that was from an irreplaceable uh, resource. Uh, each of these figures here, so you'll see that uh, with various other taxes and carbon uh, charges as well, you'll notice that uh, currently, uh, even BC being the next highest taxing place uh, in Canada, uh, the difference is $8.9 billion. Right? Uh, so even with you factor in the carbon tax that the government has brought in, but it's going to, of course, rebate a lot of the money to uh, people at lower ends, of uh, the income scale. Uh, we have this gap of, with BC, $8.9 billion. Right? Now we're running, according to what the government says, a deficit of $10.4 billion. Uh, you don't have to imagine taking all 8.9, but say that you even recouped six, seven billion of that someplace. All of a sudden our deficit looks an awful lot smaller. Um, and then you go to some of the other provinces here. Uh, we're, uh, let's see, where else do we have on here that's kind of interesting? Uh, don't want to talk about Newfoundland, terrible situation there. Um, let's go to Manitoba. So, a difference of $16.4 billion, right? But they actually tax more than we do, right? Once you figure out per capita and uh, all those things, right? So we effectively are, uh, that Alberta, that tax advantage, as one economist, uh, Jack Mintz just recently said, and Jack is one of the people who didn't sign, by the way, the letter, because he uh, said, I'm all in favor of a sales tax, but I also want you to kind of lower all corporate taxes and income taxes and kind of cut a whole bunch of that stuff, so he didn't want to sign. Um, 
But even Jack Mintz uh, a couple of weeks ago said, you know, the Alberta tax advantage, it's now our tax disadvantage. It, it's become a crippling thing around our necks. Uh, the fact that we don't have a sales tax, that we don't have money coming in to pay for a central program. Uh, what I put up here is a uh, chart that shows the uh, tax rates for uh, the GST, PSTs, separate from it, uh, and a harmonized sales tax. And of course, this was debated in uh, BC some years ago, and it was actually voted down. Uh, the idea here of a harmonized sales tax is that you actually have administrative savings here because you don't have two bodies of administrators operating the uh, different taxes. You just put it together in this one administration that would be done federally. So you have a certain amount of savings there. Um, and what you can see is, of course, uh, through the uh, previous federal government, they had lowered the GST from 7 to 6 and then 5 percent. Uh, but a number of other uh, provinces have brought in uh, their own sales taxes or uh, they've harmonized their rates. Uh, so particularly out in the maritime provinces, you see most of them have harmonized at about 15%. And I believe, I think Newfoundland kept it uh, at that rate in the, uh, the current budget. So uh, if you look right across the country, no surprise here, uh, there are sales taxes of some form and uh, the, they bring in a substantial amount of money to those government coffers. Uh, this is a uh, comparison. I just, uh, there's a website I can direct you to. I looked up uh, recent figures for uh, sales taxes. They're called value-added taxes in Europe. Um, and uh, this is only kind of a select number of countries, but every country in uh, Europe, including the East and, and some of the Southern ones is on there. Uh, I put on here the, uh, the standard rate. You'll see the standard rate actually runs what, between 19 and 27 percent? Seems to probably average out at about 22, 23 percent, perhaps. You'll notice there's a couple of other ones there, uh, a reduced rate one and then a reduced rate two. Uh, these reduced rates are, uh, for example, on certain kinds of things. So uh, foodstuffs, a lot of countries have actually built in a lower rate on foodstuffs. Uh, some of them have lower rates on pharmaceuticals. Uh, in the case of the United Kingdom there, you'll see that it actually lists as a 0%. I think that was actually on pharmaceuticals. Um, so they, they just simply took that out altogether. So once again, you'll see that uh, within the fiscal framework of uh, European countries, the idea of a value-added tax is not an unusual thing at all. In fact, over time, uh, Europeans have gotten quite used to it. Uh, one country that uh, I'll point out here, of course, is uh, you look at Sweden, which some people look to as be becoming a, or as a place of uh, quite reasonable living and uh, paying for an awful lot of uh, social programs, um, health, education, uh, all kinds of security things, etc. Uh, Sweden has a, a standard rate of 25%, with again some reduced rates on certain things that are viewed to be uh, kind of socially important to all groups, and therefore you uh, lower it uh, for lower income people in particular. Uh, the Denmark again, you can see at 25%. One of the really interesting things I've said to people over the years uh, in, in talking about the politics of taxation 
is that you actually find uh, tax revolts, this is kind of an aside here from my talk, but where you actually find tax revolts are almost inevitably in places where they, have, they pay really low taxes. So for example, the anti-tax movement in the United States uh, started up in California, which fiscally is kind of a basket case uh, because they can't pull in enough money. Uh, you don't have uh, tax revolts uh, by and large in many of these European countries, and especially in the Scandinavian countries. And the reason for that is that people actually recognize that, again, there is no free lunch. And when they pay their taxes, they realize they're actually getting something for it. Right? Uh, whereas the lower you go on your taxes, then people start to say, well, I pay really low taxes, and I'm glad for that, but I also uh, I don't like the services I get anyway, so why don't we lower them even more? So it, it's a weird kind of inversion of the logic of uh, why people support or don't support uh, taxation. So what are some of the objections to a, uh, a PST or a harmonized sales tax? Uh, one of them is we just simply never had one. Uh, and we're somehow it's a matter of Alberta's identity and pride that we shouldn't have one. In fact, we actually did have one back in the uh, 1930s under social credit. And uh, being a populist party that was constantly uh, concerned about uh, not so much governing, but uh, about appealing to uh, the, the masses, they kind of pulled it out really quickly when people started to complain. Um, second one is sales taxes drive away business investment. Uh, this actually is really quite a misnomer. For one thing, uh, Alberta's taxes are, on almost every other kind of uh, tax, uh, taxes, are pretty much in line with the other provinces. So there's, there's, you know, that's not really an issue. Uh, but the reason that most companies actually want to settle in places has less to do about taxes. I mean, at some point, if you raised it to 50%, obviously people would complain. But uh, the reason companies quite often will be attracted to places is, is it secure? Are the streets safe? Uh, do you have an educated workforce? Uh, do you have really well-trained people? Is there good, are there good social programs? Is healthcare really, uh, really good? Uh, and for a lot of CEOs, somebody years ago studied this, they said a lot of CEOs move to places, frankly, because they like uh, places that have cities and provinces where there's good cultural stuff, right? So if you have kind of good art scene, uh, if you have really vibrant sports teams, this kind of thing will attract people to move there. And I'm not going to say anything about Canada not having any, any NHL teams in the playoffs this year, um, which may lose some investment, I don't know. The last thing is sales taxes are regressive. And as I said before, yes, they are regressive. No doubt about that. Um, but there are ways of actually cushioning uh, people who are low income, as we've seen in some European countries, from the effects of sales tax or a VAT on uh, certain kinds of products. The other thing is, quite frankly, uh, having a uh, uh, raising the wages of people is a better way to actually protect them. You know, so having policies that labor policies that make sure people are getting good incomes is really a, a hedge against those problems. So what are the uh, values of a uh, sales tax? Uh, first of all, it would stabilize Alberta's finances, so we wouldn't be seeing the booms and busts. Uh, and uh, would smooth out, in a sense, the business cycle. As, and this is one of the things the economists favor about it. 
Uh, in turn, it would actually protect core services during periods of downturn when those out of work are most in need of them. So for example, one of the things we notice, and I see it at the university, is that when uh, there's a downturn, you suddenly see an awful lot of people who are returning to school to get educated, right? To, to improve their, increase their education, to prepare for the new economy, prepare for the jobs coming out. So the last thing you want to do is cut there. In terms of healthcare, a lot of people are suffering all kinds of um, unemployment-related kinds of health issues. The last thing you want to do is suddenly have an unstable health system. Same with various kinds of social services. This is a stabilizer for the economy. Uh, maintaining aggregate demand through government spending. So one of the things is the government acts during recessions as a counter-recessionary force. Uh, it is counter-cyclical, or should be. You do not cut in the midst of a recession, just as you should not be spending exorbitantly in the midst of a boom. You should be smoothing and actually working against the natural flows of the business cycle. And that's what a sales tax or stabilizing our, gen our revenues more generally would assist in doing. It would uh, lower debt servicing costs and protect Alberta's credit rating. So everybody right now is really concerned that Alberta's credit rating has been downgraded. Well, it's being downgraded because, quite frankly, people are saying, how are you actually going to pay the deficit and the accumulating debt? And so if you, to protect yourself against those debt charges, you need to think of a way of stabilizing those revenues. Fifth point, you can capture the re revenue from non-residents. Uh, people who come through Alberta, other than paying the federal sales tax, uh, they may be using all kinds of services, including driving on roads. They may be uh, you know, using all kinds of things in Alberta, but they're not paying any kind of tax here for that. And so, uh, and particularly those people who actually may be um, non-resident, you may not be capturing uh, or declaring their residency in Alberta. You may be losing uh, money that way as well. So one of the ways, the things that you have the sales tax, you actually uh, can capture some of that money from people who are transient. The final point here, it allows for the building up of the heritage fund. And again, we all hope that the price of oil will come back someday. Uh, but if we were putting that money into the heritage fund and uh, paying for our services the way we should through our tax system, we would be building up that fund as an investment fund, much like Norway has done, which also could act as a stabilizer in times of serious need in this province. So those are six reasons that I think are good reasons for why we should have a sales tax. Um, thank you very much, and I'll look forward to your questions after a fabulous lunch. Thank you.